Instagram culture. Everybody puts their highlight reel out there. You know what I'm talking about? On social media, nobody puts their failures out there. Everybody, it's their highlight reel, right? They're on vacation. You know, everything's perfect. Eating in a beautiful restaurant, everything's perfect. They don't show you all of the junk that goes on. Most successful people experienced several, if not a, a myriad of setbacks, a lot of setbacks. And the only thing that separated the successful people from the non-successful people is that the successful people didn't quit. They didn't quit. Thomas Edison, I think it was like over 10,000 tries to get the light bulb. Are you kidding me? After about 752, I'd say, I just don't think it's going to work. <laughs> but he kept going. He did it until he succeeded. He continued to go. Uh, there's a guy, his name's Truett Cathy. Anybody know who he is? He's the founder of Chick-fil-A, right? Had a lot of business failures. I'm going to talk a little bit about him in the next slide, too. Had a lot of business failures, but he didn't quit. He kept changing the model, and he kept changing the business until he got the business right. Failure is not final. Setbacks are opportunities for comebacks. The problem that we have to have is we have to change our mindset. We have to see things differently. And then also there's keys to successful comebacks. And I'm going to talk about those. Say this with me. The bridge between where I am and where I want to be is called change. You have to cross the bridge of change. Say this with me. If I want what I never have had, I must do what I have never done. Einstein said this, the definition of stupidity is doing the same thing over and over and expecting different results. That's stupid. We, and what we end up doing is we all want something different, but we're not willing to change in order to get it. We're not willing to make the changes that are necessary in order for a result to be produced that's different than the one that we've already received. That's a problem. Christians only fail when they quit. This is the difference. This is a huge separator. This is one of the benefits. Christianity, the gospel comes with a lot of benefits. I don't know if you're aware of that or not. Right? Good news, not just salvation, but lots of bennies in this plan. And like a lot of us, um, we join the, you ever, I don't know if you guys ever join like, um, I just came back from Disney, so Disney's on my mind. You know, uh, Disney has a vacation club. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Some of you are members of the vacation club. I have a friend, he's a member of the vacation club, and he works that thing like it's, like it's unbelievable. I mean, he just really just squeezes all of the juice out of that vacation club. Everything he can get out of it, he gets out of it. Full benefit package. And he is, but he is the exception because most people don't ever take the benefits that are offered in, in those plans. I don't know if you, you, you ever thought about that. So some of you are like, man, I got to look at my benefit plan a little bit more. I was looking at, I have an annual membership and I'm looking through the annual member. I'm like, what? We get 10% off at discounts, right? So I was an annual member last year. I'm like, I didn't know I get 10% off at these, at, these restaurant, at these restaurants. I didn't know that. I wasn't taking advantage of the benefit plan. A lot of things with Christianity, Jesus paid his blood to give you opportunity and to give you things. Jesus wants sons and daughters that are separated from everyone else around you. We are the light of the world. We are the cities on a hill. We are victorious people who cannot be defeated. The Christian is to be marked among all people. Cannot be defeated. Even in death, we are not defeated. Death only verifies our victory. So it's victory in this life and the one to come. An unconquerable, undefeatable people we are. The only way the believer can be defeated is if they quit. So I don't know if I believe that. 
Galatians, let us not become weary in doing good. Let us not become weary in following the Lord and doing what he's called us to. Let us not become weary in that. Don't get tired of it. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest. What? What's that say? Well, let's circle the word right here. If, if. So that's a, that's a conditional promise. That is a promise with a condition. It says you're going to reap a harvest if you don't give up. In other words, you won't reap a harvest if you give up. You understand that? It's conditional. The, har- the, 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 the promise is, based on, is predicated upon the condition of you not quitting. The only way the believer get, can be defeated is if we quit. Next slide. Jesus gets in the boat. So here's what happens. So Peter, Jesus comes to the Sea of Galilee. He's there. All the multitudes are following him. He goes and gets in Peter's boat. You say, well, why did he get in Peter's boat? Well, let's let's talk about this. He will not do it for you, but he will do it with you. When Jesus got in Peter's boat, there was potential for change. You want to talk about a comeback. The first thing you have to do is get Jesus in your boat or let him get in your boat. And if you're a believer, he's already in your boat. He's already there. So when you come to Christ, you're given potential. The Holy Spirit gives you potential. But potential doesn't mean anything unless you live up to the potential. You have to partner with your potential. I don't know if you guys ever saw, what is it, On the Waterfront? Right? I watch old movies too. I don't know if you knew that about me. But I like to watch. My wife's like, why do you watch these old movies? I'm like, because they're calm. They're very calm. And when you live like a crazy life, you like it. You like things that make you calm, right? I mean, I watch the news and I'm about to freak out. I'm like, I can't even, I'm like, I'm jumping around, you know, I'm like, I can't watch this. So my wife will come in the room and I'll be watching like, you know, how green is my valley or something like that, you know? I'm like, I've become my father. What am I going on? But there's a movie with Marlon Brando called, the, called On the Waterfront. And he was a boxer and he didn't make it all the way. Right? And he said, I could have been a contender. I could have been a contender. And he knew the whole movie, he didn't live up to his potential. And so he spends his whole life lamenting the fact that he didn't live up to, the, to his potential. When you come to Christ, you're given potential. You've been given potential. Jesus isn't, say this with me, Jesus, Jesus. isn't going to do it for me, he's, but he will do it with me. He's not going to force you to live up to your potential. He's not going to let, he's not going to do it for you. This is a, I emphasize this a lot here because it's often taught within the church that Jesus has done it all. And all we got to do is just sit back and whatever comes, it's the Lord's will. Good, bad, or ugly, it's the Lord's will. Wrong answer. Wrong answer. Bad doctrine, bad teaching, wrong answer. Who told you that? That is not the scoffs, that is not the scripture, that is not the gospel. We, we, are, we are a product of our choices And we're not only a product of our choices, we're a product of our partnership with the Holy Spirit. We produce what we partner with the Spirit of God on or what we fail to partner with him on. When we partner with Jesus, he supplies the power. So the power doesn't come from you. He supplies the courage. The courage doesn't come from you. He supplies the wisdom. He will supply everything that you need if you will listen. This is the big problem. We don't like to listen. Listening requires faith. Obedience requires faith. That's an issue. So Jesus gets into Peter's boat. So step one, let the Lord get in your boat. Okay? 
Why did he get into the boat? Well, he got into the boat because the people were crowding him. By putting out to shore, it would make like a natural amphitheater. So the natural side of this is Jesus is trying to project the teaching a little bit more. That's what he's trying to do. He's trying to get the people to hear what he's trying to say because they didn't have amplifiers. They didn't have cool fighter pilot headsets like I'm wearing, right? So he's trying to get the people to hear him. The other thing is there's a spiritual application here is Jesus is trying to show us that as he steps into Peter's boat, he wants to use Peter's life as a platform to distribute the kingdom. The purpose of Christ coming into your life is to use your life as a platform to distribute his kingdom. That's the whole point. It's not about, well, it's just about getting born again. No, it's, one of the things, American culture is very self-centered. We're all about the individual, right? America is all about the individual, and those of you who are born and raised here, you don't know anything different than all about the individual. Different parts of the world have different ethoses or different ethics within their culture. Uh, Tom, you're from, Philipp- from the Philippines. And so one of the things in Tom's culture where he grew up is it's not all individual. It's very family-centric, and it's very the benefit of the whole. It's not about the individual. That's the ethos of their culture, right? And so in our culture, we only think about us. And so when we think that when Jesus comes into our lives and the whole purpose of Jesus coming into my life is all about me, why would it not be all about me? That's, all, that's the only way we think. And so you see a lot of this reflected in the American church. American church is very individualistic and very me-centric. All about me. What's in it for me? Me, 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 me. Gimme, gimme, gimme. My name is Jimmy, right? Our three favorite people are me, myself, and I, Right? That's, who, that's what we're all about. But in the gospel and in the kingdom, Jesus' economy is not that way. His economy is it's not all about you. The benefit is to you in order to get it through you. That's the point. And what we teach within our churches is we, see, we teach a self, we teach a terminating gospel. We teach a gospel that, determine, that, that terminates with self. In other words, the, the sum total of everything Jesus, is, Jesus does is for you and you alone, right? And when any time there's a satisfy, the church, Christians go crazy if they're asked to sacrifice. God, don't help me to sacrifice. Don't inconvenience me at all. We say, all for you, Jesus, all for you. But the minute you ask believers to sacrifice, sacrifice is pain, right? If it doesn't hurt, you're not sacrificing. So you know, it's a convenience if you can do it. Oh, oh, I can, no. oh, that's a sacrifice. You know, oh, yeah, I can show up 10 minutes early. That's a sacrifice. Well, does it cost you anything? Because if it doesn't cost you anything, it's not a sacrifice. It's still convenient for you. Just saying. And what sacrifice does when we sacrifice and we give up something that costs us something is we die to ourselves. And when you die to yourself, that means the kingdom can live in that part of you that now just died. Jesus cannot live in the place where you're still alive. Well, I'm crucified with Christ. Yeah, do you tithe? No. Okay, no, you're not. I'm crucified with Christ. Do you attend church? Do you committed to church? No, then you're not, then you're not, you're still alive. Do you own your time? Yep, and then you're still, you're still alive. And you, Jesus cannot occupy the areas of your life that you will not sacrifice yourself into obedience on. And a big problem with that, you can teach it, but the, the Christian will argue it in their own mind. And that God's word will be clear, and yet the Christian will deny it because they think they know more. You know what that's called? Idolatry of the mind. You worship what you think more than what God says, and you have an idol, and it's called you. Well, I don't worship me. No, you worship the way that you think, and that's a problem. 
That's a problem. And you'll never change. You'll never change. You can quote scripture. You can make, give declarative prayers until the cows come home. But until you make a commitment to change and commitment into the things that God calls you to, and it's going to hurt. It's going to hurt. But what happens is it's a beautiful death, man. It's beautiful death. Anybody knows one of the things, um, a big story before they even made the movie 300 was a story of uh, um, uh, Thermopylae where the, where the uh, Greeks went out to fight the Persians and 300 Spartans died defending their country in that place. I knew that story long ago. And one of the things that the Spartan, the culture of the Spartans was is they were looking for a beautiful death. They were willing to give it all for something meaningful. Give it all for something meaningful. They did not hold their life. This is gospel too. They did not hold their lives dear to themselves. They were willing to give everything for something meaningful. I was just talking with Chella in the, in the room there, and she was asking me a bunch of, stuff, bunch of questions. Uh, she asked me, what's the meaning of life, right? What is the meat? Pastor, what's the meaning of life? I'm like, oh, well, I'm not going to get into everything I told her. <laughs> I told her to pursue happiness is a luxury, but to pursue meaning is a moral obligation, To pursue happiness is a luxury, but every single one of you are called to pursue meaning. Either you are obligated to pursue what is meaningful. And when you pursue what is meaningful, suddenly you come alive. When you pursue what is meaningful, suddenly all of a sudden you find yourself happy. That's why people are not happy with people, places, and things because it creates a shallow existence. They're like, I have everything that I want. Why am I not happy? Because you're not living a life of meaning. If there's no meaning, there's no happiness. And you are obligated to live a life of meaning. And when you sacrifice for the kingdom and you sacrifice for Jesus, you're going to die. Death is not pretty and death is not painful. Or not not painful. Death is painful. So when you die, it's not a pretty experience. Nobody likes to sit there and go, he's about to die. Let's all gather around. And let's all, nobody likes to watch people die. It's brutal, it's painful, it's ugly, it's nasty, it's traumatizing because you're getting rid of something that was old and you're coming into something that is new. And when you die to yourself, Christ can live in you. But if you don't die to you, Christ cannot live in you. You can be born again, but you are still a slave of circumstance. You are still a slave of emotion. You're still a slave of self-will. Free in Jesus in the spirit, absolutely. All the potential in the world, but still a slave. He gets in the boat, okay? So Jesus needed the platform. He wants to make your life. Say this with me. Jesus, Jesus wants to make my life, make my life a, platform a platform of kingdom distribution. Kingdom distribution. That's it. And how does he distribute the kingdom? Through your life, through word and through deed. It's the whole point. So Jesus gets in Peter's boat, sits in Peter's boat in the shallows, right? Okay? So you want to go into deeper meaning because we're going to go from the shallows to deep water. We're not going to deep water until Jesus can begin to use your life as a platform. When he's using your life as a platform, you're still in the shallows. If he's not using your life as a platform, you haven't even made it to the shallows. Let's just be clear. Once he uses Peter's life in, a, in the shallows, he takes him into the deep water. But they don't go to the deep water until Jesus, until Peter lets him use him in the shallows. And in the shallows, it's a platform. Until your life becomes a platform where, Lord, it's all for you. It's whatever you want, however you want to do it. Whatever this looks like, I'm bringing my life into obedience. And we think we've arrived. You just hit the shallows. No, it's true. We think because we obey God in one area. Woo! I'm victorious. Hallelujah. Angels are singing. You just, you're in the shallows. 
You're still in the baby pool. Congratulations, you're actually in the water because most Christians are on the shore. They don't even get into the baby pool. But there's a place that's deeper, and we don't go to deeper places, and we wonder why we can't get to deeper places. Because we won't let Jesus use us in the shallows. That's why we can't get to deeper places. Because we, we won't let him lose us in the shallows. And so he uses Jesus in the, he uses Peter in the shallows. He uses Peter's, everything that Peter was all about. Peter was all about fishing. It was the core of Peter's existence. Fishing, morning, noon, and night. Fishing, every day. Fishing, fishing, fishing. That meant everything to Peter. And so Jesus comes right into the meaning of Peter's life and stands right in the center of it and says, I want to speak from here. I want to speak from the place that is most meaningful to you. And I want to speak from that place unto others. And Peter had to let him do it. You got to let Jesus come into your boat. Wherever you want blessing, you have to give Jesus access. Let's just say that together. Wherever Wherever I want blessing, I I must give Jesus access. I can assure you that where the famine lies, there is no Jesus there. I can assure you. 100% guaranteed, write it down, Twitter it. Wherever the famine is in your life, Christ is not there. True. There is something that you are misaligned with him on. It can be an attitude, can be an action, can be a will. Jesus is a Genesis God where he shows up. The earth sings, man. Everything begins to move when Jesus shows up. He creates life wherever he goes. He does it. Every time he encounters death, he raises it. Okay? How many funerals did Jesus encounter that he didn't raise the dead? Zero. Every time he encountered death, he brought it to life. He's the God of resurrection. So where there is no life, Jesus is not there. Because if it's dead and Jesus is there, rest assured, it's coming back to life. It's true. So it's a self-evaluation and looking at your life and saying, man, I've got some famine in these areas. There's, there's some things that are going on in these areas that this is not producing. Why? And the question is, is okay, that the, the why is, is that Jesus isn't there. The next question is, is how do I get Jesus in there? That's the question. How do I get Jesus in my home? How do I get Jesus in my family? How do I get Jesus in my business? How do I get Jesus in whatever, the five key relationships, five key things, right? Everybody say it with me. Faith, Faith. family, family. Friendships, Friendships, finances, finances, and future. Those are the five key things that are relative to every single one of you in the room. And those are the five key areas that you need to look at to see if Jesus is there. If you don't have a hopeful future, Jesus isn't there. If you have massively dysfunctional relationships, Jesus isn't there. If you have finances that just blow away and you can't keep it together and it's never enough and you're never sustained, Jesus isn't there. If you have a faith that's extraordinarily limited and you can't make up your mind what you want to do or when you want to do it and you're hot and you're cold, you're back, you're forth, Jesus isn't there. You have to look at that and you have to become brutally honest and you have to examine that and go, okay, I have to, first, the first step is acknowledging there's a problem. You can't fix a problem that you don't acknowledge. Sticking your head in the sand doesn't work. The church is famous for the emperor has no clothes. Anybody know that story? Children's story, I say it all the time. Some of you are like, why does he always say the emperor has no clothes? There's a story where the king, the, these tailors came to a king, and they said, we're going to make you new clothes, but they were con artists. And so they made clothes, right? 
fancy clothes. They were invisible clothes. And they put them on the king. And they said, oh, these clothes are amazing. These clothes are beautiful. And they brought in all the servants. Aren't the king's clothes beautiful and amazing? And all the servants were like, wow, yeah. He had, he's in his underwear. But all the servants would be like, wow, yeah. You're, I like the gilding. I like the, 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 the garments on you. I like the way that the, 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 the robe flows over you. And so everybody kept telling the king that his clothes were beautiful when he had no clothes on. Until one day he went out walking in the streets. And a little boy from the crowd goes, the emperor has no clothes. And so we put on, we, we, we pretend that something is the way it is when it's not. We pretend that all of this stuff can happen without directly confronting the issues within ourselves. Shiny, happy people, Jesus is just going to do it all. I don't have, there's no, oh no, I'm saved, I'm born again, there's nothing wrong with me. And if any of my junk comes out, well, I'm just going to run away. Transformation only happens when you deal with the areas where there's no clothes and stop pretending like everything's beautiful when it's not. And I'm not saying to be a fatalist because we can be fatalists too. And there are going to be problems on every corner. Some of you are like that. It's all you do is see problems. Problem over there, problem over there. Oh, I might be a problem with the weather. I might start my car. I don't think I'm going to drive my car. There might be a problem with my car. I might stall on the road. I don't think I'm going to drive my car. <laughs> There are people that see problems everywhere. I'm not talking about being a fatalist, but I'm talking about looking at your life and seeing areas of your life where it doesn't work or where it's not working or there's a famine there. Okay, so where is it? Your business, your relationship, your future, your family, your friends, your finances, your faith. The second thing that happened is Jesus asked him to put out a little bit from the shore. So not only do you got to get Jesus in your boat, you, say it with me, not only, not only. does Jesus need to be in my boat, I need to move with him. You need to move with him. Okay? Move away from what? You need to move away from what's safe. Peter's on the shore. He's standing on the shore. It's nice and safe. It's stable there. And now Peter wants, Jesus wants Peter to get in a boat, push out from shore, and he wants to move him away from everything that's familiar. And now Peter has to stand in a boat that's rocking while Jesus speaks. Okay? Not very comfortable. Not something Peter's used to doing. When Peter's in the boat, he's working. He's not used to standing there while somebody talks. So he's in an unfamiliar place, he's an, he's, and he's moved away from what was safe to him. Unstable environment, and it was a moving environment. If you're going to move with Jesus, it is going to be unstable. Who told you he was safe? Who told you? The church has this misnomer that Jesus is safe for the whole family. He's not safe, but he's good. He's wild, he's dangerous, he's alive, and he's free. And you know what's crazy about that? Is that's exactly what you want to be deep down. Wild, free, alive, and that's exactly who he is. He has no, he has, safety isn't his, isn't his issue. He's not worried about safety. That's not his problem. And he doesn't produce safety in your life. He calls you directly into unstable environments. If you don't think Jesus calls you into an unstable environment, you don't know him. You don't know him. That's why this is a big thing with Christians. They get out there and they start following the Lord and things start getting unstable. And then we get all these pastors and all these church leaders and all these well-meaning Christians going, well, if it was God, it wouldn't be unstable. Anybody ever had him tell you that? Few of you, anybody? No one? No? You start doing something. Well, that can't be God. If that was God, it wouldn't be unstable like that. No, it's unstable because it is the Lord. When you follow Jesus, everything is unstable. And everything you are in his hands, faith, 
everything begins to shift. And we want all the answers before we do anything. Well, you'll never do anything because he calls you into the unknown. He calls you into what you have no, you have no idea where you're going. All through the Bible, Abraham went out not knowing where he was going. He had no clue. The Lord said, go that way. Where am I going? I have no idea. Huh. This is what he does. If you're going to get Jesus in your boat, we'll go, I'm going to get Jesus in my boat in 2019. Okay, get Jesus in your boat in 2019. But don't forget to move with him. And don't forget that when you're moving with him, it's going to be unstable. And everything that you knew that was familiar is going to go. He gets rid of everything that's familiar to you. You know, the word familiar is rooted in the word family. It's everything that you've koozied down on. You know, you've built, you've built a home around your insecurity. It's got to go. You've built a home around your fear. It's got to go. Everything that's familiar to you, your, everything that you've wrapped your arms around and have spent time with over your life and everything that you've bonded yourself to, he tells you, to, he moves you away from it. And we don't know what, it, what it's like because, oh, wait a minute, I like fear. Fear's been my friend. Fear makes me feel confident. Fear makes me feel, you know, at least fear is familiar. It's true. Jesus is not safe, but he's good. He will move you from stability into instability on purpose. On purpose. Throw the whole thing up in the air on purpose. Dismantle everything that you built. <laughs> says, you know what? He says, you can, you can build a good life, but I can build a great life. Which one do you want? Don't cry for greatness if you're not going to let the master builder remodel you. Be content. You hear me say, I use this story all the time. Stay behind in the valley with the asses because we're going to the mountain to worship. You want to go to the mountain, Jesus is going to disassemble some things. He's going to disassemble everything. Everything that you knew is going to be gone. We don't like that, but that's truth. Get out of your father's house and get, out, get away from your father, get away from your family, get away from everything that your father, your family is about and go to where I will show you. That's what he told Abraham. Everything that Abraham was familiar with, he had to leave behind. And he had to journey into the unknown. Some of you, you, have, you should leave behind some of your habits, some of the stuff that you watch on TV, some of the music that you listen to, some of the people that you associate with that's all familiar to you, that's actually an impediment to your, to your direction. And you need to immerse yourself into Christ. 2019, so for a lot of you, should be a year of immersion. All my old stuff is gone. I'm not nothing secular. Say, well, what's wrong with secular Se- stuff? Secular stuff is stuff that's outside of God. Is it wrong? No, it's not wrong, only if it's, if it's hindering you. If it's hindering you, then you need to get rid of it. I tell kids this all the time. Your music doesn't have, you have your, you say, I have my music. No, if you can't give your music up for 30 days, you don't have music, music has you. That killed me. I was 21 years old. I had a pastor tell me that. I gave up all my music. You know why? Because I wanted Jesus more. I wanted him more. I sacrificed it all. It hurt. It hurt. I like those seats. I like that. I'm like, I had to get rid of it all. I stopped watching certain television shows. I stopped watching certain movies, not because I'm a Puritan. I just was having this conversation with my son. You have gates to your soul. What you put through your eyes and what you put through your ears affects your soul. It affects the person that you are. It affects the words that come out of you. It affects your attitude. And so you have to guard what you put in your eyes, and you have to guard what comes through your ears. 
Guard your heart with all diligence, for out of it comes the issues of life. All of life comes from the heart. What are you taking in? What are you consuming? Next slide. Jesus isn't safe. Some of you, you're going to believe God. We're on a cusp of a year. You're believing God for something. You should believe God. But don't you get freaked out and don't you quit just because it gets unstable. Some of this stuff, some of these attitudes in the church, we have to blow them up. I'm serious. We have got to eliminate dogma. Well, don't get ahead of the Lord now, pastor. We don't want to get out there and get too far down the road. We don't want to get ahead of Jesus. Have you ever read your Bible? He sent them ahead of him. I don't know how many times he sent them, go ahead of me, go before me. We don't want to get ahead of the Lord. Where's that in the scripture? Well, if it's tough, it may not be from the Lord. Well, I'll give you another one. Try this one on theologically. He sent him ahead of him, and he sent him directly into a storm. Did Jesus not know he was sending them into a storm? He knew exactly he was sending them into a storm. And he let them, and you know what he did? He sent them into the storm, and the Bible says they rode all night. He let them row all night. He didn't come and save them at the first little wah-wah. Oh, this is hard. The wind is contrary. That's what the Bible says. Everything was against them. Everything was moving against them, and he intentionally let them row against the wind all night. All night. Did he show up? Yeah, he showed up. He's trying to show them that their effort isn't going to get it done. And he's also trying to show them that when this happens, they're to look to him. And Jesus showed up. You know what he showed up as? They, they saw him. They thought he was a specter. They thought he was a ghost. He's going to show up in a way that you don't, you're not going to recognize him. He's going to show up to you in another way, in a way that's not familiar to you. And if you're not discerning, you'll miss it. you miss it. Church is so dull spiritually. We are like, I, I mean, I listen to stuff. I'm like, I'm like, where in the world are we? We are born of the Spirit, yet we talk like carnal men. We're born of the Spirit, and yet we think all the answers are in the flesh. We just need psychology. We just need a, you know, I was just watching this pastor, and he had this, psycho, he had this psychologist on the stage, and, he had this, and he's in there, and he's interviewing in front of this mega church, and I let my wife listen to it, and I said, listen to what this person says, and you tell me what I would say instead of this. And the person's like, oh, well, the way you overcome fear and the way you come over anxiety is you have to self-audit. And okay, I get that part. But you have to like guard what's coming into you and all of the thoughts that are coming into you. And then you have to guard the thoughts that are going out of you. I'm like, good luck with that. I said, what would I say? And Sherry said, you would say, rely on the Holy Spirit. And I say, that's exactly what I would say. You don't need to self-audit. You need to get in the Spirit. Holy Spirit will do all the self-auditing you need. He'll love, you'll get, you'll be in love, you'll have clarity of mind, clarity of purpose, clarity of everything in the spirit. But the church thinks that it can perform in the flesh what's been given to us in the spirit. It's insanity. I'm telling you, it's, in, it's, it's absolute insanity, the way that we teach the Christian. God's wanting to build a church that will change the world. God's wanting to raise up a people that will revolution culture as it currently stands. And we're standing here talking like carnal men. I mean, I listen to some pastors, and I think I'm at a, I think I'm at a, a business rally. Rah, rah. Rah, 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 rah. Rah, 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 rah. I'm like, you going to quote the scripture, bro? Are you going to say the name of Jesus? 
Well, God, 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 rah, 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 rah. Write down what you stand for in 2019. Rah, rah, rah. Write down your principles. Put them on the refrigerator and live towards your principles. Okay, Tony Robbins. I think you should write down your principles, but I think you should believe God and then write down your principles and then believe God for the principles that you put on the wall. You can't exclude the Spirit of God from the equation. It's, again, denying the Spirit to fulfill it in the flesh. It's absolute foolishness. We're the Moose Lodge. I'm serious. We're nothing better than the United Way. We're nothing better than a self-help group. We're their pastors or your therapists. I don't want to be your therapist. I want to be the friend of the bridegroom that points you to the kingdom and tells you the power of the one who loves you and tells you how to get it and how to get it done. I don't want to be your life coach. Yeah, I'll coach you. I'll encourage you. I love to encourage you. But that's not, that's not my role as a pastor. That's not my job. My job is to call you unto Christ, into his kingdom and through his spirit. That's my job. It's absolute lunacy what goes on in our churches. It's lunacy. Lunacy. It's got to change. If you pray for the church, you pray that pastors would speak the word of God and you would speak it effectively, that they would speak it correctly, that they would be instant, in season and out. They would preach the word like Paul told Timothy. Preach the word, not a word, not an opinion. Preach the word. Whatever you're saying, uh, use a verse. Wow, mind bomb, right? <laughs> and after Jesus finished speaking, he says to Simon, launch out into the deets and let down your net for a catch. He said, what you're looking for, Peter, is at the next level. And Simon said, Master, we've worked hard all night. We haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. Here's the next step. So you got to let Jesus in your boat. You got to start letting him move. You got to move with him. You got to start letting him use your life as a platform and letting him change the things in your life and letting him speak through your life. And then the third thing you need to do is you need to admit that your ideas are not working. It's true. Your best idea is terrible. My, my mic's terrible. I can't get this mic's like... Like, I feel like it's pointing down at my shirt, man. Like, admit that your ideas aren't working. Jesus is the only good idea you have. That's it. He's the only good idea you have. You have to admit that your ideas are working. You have to do what he tells you, even if it doesn't make sense. Peter go, Jesus goes to Peter, launch out into the deep and let down your nets. Well, what's wrong with that? Well, two things are wrong with that. Wrong time of day, number one, and wrong location. They didn't fish in the middle of the lake. They didn't fish in the, in the center of the lake. They fished out beyond the shallows, but they fished more in the center part of the lake. And so Jesus tells them to go out into the deep, let down your net, wrong time of day, wrong location. That's it. Jesus is going to tell you when you're going to go to a next place for him, you start letting him in the shallow, he's going to call you into the deep. He's going to tell you things that aren't logical. They're not logical. Big movement of churches I once was a part of, they took the dove down and they put up the Trinitarian symbol. They're now theologians. They used to be people of the Spirit, but now they've become theologians. Having begun in the Spirit, they now feel that knowledge is what will fulfill it for them. Logical. If it's not logical, can't be God. Who told you that? Who told you that? 
He's going to tell you things that are completely, somebody says this, Jesus is too, I'm going to, next time I say it, I'm not going to reference him. I'm going to say this is mine because this is a good statement. Jesus is too creative to be logical. Jesus doesn't operate on the realm of logic. In case you didn't know that, we're trying to understand God with logic. He's not in the realm of logic. Jesus is in the realm of wisdom and imagination. And what wisdom and imagination is the realm of the spirit. That's where he operates from. And you're trying to do everything logically. You won't follow God unless you can see it. You won't follow God unless you can quantify it. You can measure it. You're in logic. Jesus is going to tell you, and what he tells you doesn't make sense. Everything Jesus commands us to do makes no sense. Makes no sense. Tithe. Give 10% of your income to support my church to bring the kingdom to the world. Oh, that makes perfect sense. That makes perfect sense. I'm just supposed to give 10% of my, my, the money that I make away? Yeah. Well, I, I don't know. That's logical to me. I don't know about you. Perfectly logical. He tells you this. Love. Love your enemies. Do good to those who do evil to you. Well, again, that makes sense, doesn't it? Sure. That's perfectly natural to me. <laughs> He tells you to take no vengeance. How are we doing with that one? Take no vengeance. Vengeance is mine. Lay hands on the sick. Well, that'll make them feel better, won't it? That's perfectly logical. <laughs> Person is suffering from an incurable disease. Stand back, doctors. Let me lay hands on them. It's illogical because it doesn't, his world is not logical. He doesn't come from the world of logic. He's not ministering or releasing or activating or doing anything according to logic. Nothing. Return to me. Surrender your heart. I'll save you. I'll forgive you. I'll take away guilt and shame. Confess to me. And I'll, oh, that makes sense. You mean I just got to believe Jesus and open my heart? He's going to come in and forgive. Yep, that's it. Makes perfect sense. How about this one? Love your wife. Love your wife. That doesn't make a lot of sense because sometimes she's not lovable. Right? Love her when she's unlovable. Okay, here's yours, ladies. Honor your husband. You've got to be kidding me. <laughs> Respect him, reverence him, and esteem him with the highest honor. Even when he's not deserving of it. That makes perfect sense. That doesn't make perfect sense at all. There's nothing, sense, there's nothing perfect about that at all. Jesus says this. He says, go out into the deep and let down your nets. Go out into the deep and I want you to release the nets. He said, if you'll listen to me, you will pull from another world. That's the whole idea of fishing. You're going to be a fisher of men, right? It's a very interesting concept. Why aren't we herders of sheep? Why aren't we cutters of wood? Why aren't we loggers? Follow me and I'll teach you to cut wood, Kevin. I'll teach you to herd cows. I'll teach you to actually herd sheep. That's an interesting reference. That's all through the Bible. But he uses the word fish because he's trying to show you two worlds. There's another world beneath the water. And by faith, you pull from one world into another. It's the whole idea. <laughs> That's why. It's fishers of men. Show, listen to me, and you will pull from one world into this one. You have to be discerning to understand why he's saying that. Oh, fishers of men. Well, he's just trying to tell us to be fishers of men. Bless God, we're fishers of men. Fishers of men. Well, why, why did he say fishers of men? Has anybody ever said that? What are you pointing at, dear? <laughs> My loving wife. I love her. 
I love my wife, and she honors me. She just wouldn't hot hid. And she honors me and esteems me even when I'm not worthy of it. Listen to me, and you'll pull from another world. Some of you, 2019 will change if you just begin to do the things that Jesus says just because he says so. Peter's like, professional fisherman, Lord. You're a rabbi. I'm a professional fisherman. We fished all night. We haven't caught anything. But just because you say so, we're going to go out and do what you say. Some of you, your whole year would change. Your whole life would change. If you began to do, live your life just because he said so. I'm going to give because he says so. I'm going to go to church because he says so. I'm going to go to small group because he says so. I'm going to serve because he says so. I'm going to love because he says so. I'm going to worship because he says so. Your life would change. Your life would completely change. And I'm just touching on the basics. Here's a question. What has Jesus told you to do that you still haven't done? Some of you, you're in 2014 because Jesus told you something in 2014 and you still haven't done it. And you wonder five years later why nothing's changed because your life is not going to go past the last word you received. Until you do what he told you to do, you're not going forward. Well, what do you want me to do, Lord? It's 2019. He's like, I want you to flash back to 2014 and remember what I told you there and remember what you refused to do there and remember what you stopped doing there and I want you to go back and I want you to do that. There's a problem with the church at Ephesus. Same thing, right? Repent and do the first works. You want to move forward? You want to keep going, right? You can't go forward because you left something behind. You're failing to do something that I directly told you to do. So what has Jesus told you to do that you still haven't done? And what do you, what do you know to do, but you're not doing it? Some of you, you have a direct word from the Lord. You have a vision, you have a purpose, you have a direction. You at least have a direction. God's told you to move in a direction and you haven't done it. You refuse to do it. You don't think you have what it takes. You don't, uh, you're waiting for something miraculous to happen, and you won't even step through the door that he's put in front of you. Some of you have a word. Some of you, it's just intuitive, or it's a direct verse, or it's a scripture. You know you're out of order in this area, and you know that you shouldn't be doing this, or you need to do this. It's a positive or a negative. You either need to be doing it, or you need to stop doing it. You know that what you're doing needs to change, and you refuse that's another area. Next slide. Your life will never move beyond the word you spoke unless you obey it. Then Jesus says, launch out. So he says, when? He says, this is called a now word. The Lord says, launch out now, Peter. Not tomorrow, not next week, right now. Today's the day of change. Where? Into deep water. To do what? Let down your nets. Launching out into the deep is, a no, is called a now word. A now word in, 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 in implies that you act on it now. Now. When? Now. <laughs> it requires risk. It's so true. So true. The word's called kairos. There's a word called chronos in the Greek, and it means a progression of time, and then there's the word kairos. Kairos means right now. And it means a moment of change, and it's happening right now. Some of you, you have a Kairos moment, and you need to make up your mind if you're going to step into it or not. There's a now word, deep water. What does that mean? Get off the baby beach. Get off the baby beach. This is where most Christians are, splashing around in the baby beach. You ever go to a pool where there's kids? You know what I'm talking about? Now they separate the pools, but used to be they would all be blended. You were very cautious to go in on the baby side. At least I was. 
I'd be checking it out. I'd be making sure all those babies had diapers on before I went cruising through there. Don't want to see any candy bars floating in there, you know. <laughs> Get off the baby beach. Go where you've never gone and do what you've never done. There's a physical application. Go out into the deep. There's a spiritual application. The deep water is also your heart. Some of you need to go into your heart. The Bible says, delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Proverbs says, the, pers- the purposes of a person's heart are deep waters, but who- one who has insight in them draws them out. The Lord is trying to draw out what's in your heart. It's part of his process. You've been suppressing it. Jesus is trying to activate it. You've been pushing it away. He's trying to draw it out. Your hopes, your dreams, your fears, your disappointments, and yes, your weaknesses. Some of you, you have lies in your heart, and Jesus is trying to draw them out to expose you. No, to elevate you. Everything he's trying to draw out of you is not for the purpose of demeaning you or not for the purpose of bringing you lower, but lifting you up. That's what it's for. Jesus wants to draw it out of you. So this, is, this could be a year, too, where you go out into the deep water and you really press into the person that you are. Most people live lives based on the opinions of other people. The majority of people are paralyzed by fear, and that fear is the fear of man. Two most dominant fears are the fear of failure and the fear, and the fear of insecurity. And the fear of insecurity is, is, what will everybody think of me? What will they think if I don't fail? What will they think if they really knew? What will they think of me? And then the fear of insecurity is, I don't know if I have what it takes. We can get that one off the table real quick. You don't have what it takes. Let's just clear the, let's just clear the deck on that. But Jesus has what it takes, and he'll give you what it takes if you'll work with him. The fear of failure, you have to be, the fear of other people, you have to basically come to a place of indifference. You do. It's funny, Chella and I were having this conversation. It's all this stuff's coming out in sermon there, Chella. So... Uh, um, my son was asking me in the car, he's like, do you ever get tired of being a pastor and all this different stuff? And I said, I told my son, I said, no. I said, I'm given an honor by a king. A king has given me an honor to stand before him and to speak on his behalf. I have an honor. It's not a burden. It's an honor. And I told him, I said, and he said, well, how do you deal with it all? I said, I don't do it for the people. And Chella's like, well, sure you do it. You do it for the people. I go, I do it for the people because Jesus wants me to do it for the people. You can't exclude God from the equation. I do what I do because he wants it done. And he, he loves you. He loves you so much. Loves you so much. The value that you're receiving, there's power in the preaching of the word. God puts a grace upon it. It's literally what changes you. And we undervalue the teaching of God's word to such a high degree. We, we really do. We, we put it down into this really low place when it's the very thing that transforms us. If you will do what God asks you to do, not for the sake of other people, but you'll do what he asks you to do because he told you to, he'll give you the grace to do it. Most of us, we wonder, well, what will, God, what will people think of me if I sing? What will people think of me if I, whatever, I don't know what your, what your calling is or what your, your heart is telling you to, but what I can tell you is what restrains you. I don't know what's in your heart to do, but I can tell you what's, what's opposing you. Insecurity opposes you. And then the second thing is the fear of other people. <laughs> That's what, that, that is what constrains you. That's what holds you back. And so if you're going to move forward and you're going to go into your heart and you're going to express that issue, you have to deal with insecurity and you have to deal with the fear of other people. And the fear of other people comes really with an attitude of indifference. 
It's not that you don't respect what other people say, but you're indifferent to it. You say, well, what do you mean by that? It means that the opinions of other people are not going to affect the way that I live or what I do. I'm not going to be affected, right? It doesn't mean you want to offend people, you want to hurt people, but you're not going to let, like, run around and just take a, take a wind test to see what people think of you. <laughs> people get suicidal when people stop following them on Instagram and Facebook and stuff like that. It's crazy, it's nuts, because they're so wrapped up in what people think of them. Then he tells them to let down the net. Jesus draws out of your heart, then he tells you out to the deep, and he tells you to let down the net. What does that mean? Unfold what you've been carrying. What have you been carrying? Some of you have been carrying a lot of junk. You've got to let it go. Some of you guys have been carrying a lot of th- dreams. You've got to open them up. You have to let down what you've been carrying. Why does he take them into the deep? Because that's where the big fish are. The big stuff's in the deep water. The fishermen seldom fished there because it wasn't the big fish they were after. It was the schools of fish that would be driven to the shoals. They would, go to the, they would go to the outer side because the big fish would be swimming in the centers and the little fish would try to get away from them. And so the, big, the little fish would be out on the outer, outer rim. Jesus calls us where the big fish are. Most people live their lives in the shallows, but Jesus has called you into the deep. Did you know that? You got one go-round, Christian. I don't know if you looked in the mirror lately. You got one go-round. You're not going in reverse. You're going forward. You have to make up your mind how you're going to live. And what you have to do is you have to make up your mind to capture time. All of us, the greatest commodity, and you hear, it's nothing new, but the greatest commodity that we have is time. How you invest and how you use your time. You can waste five years of your life if you want to. You can look back in 10 years and go, why did I let the opinions of so many people affect me? Why did I let that happen? You have to make up your mind. Last slide. We're going to pray. It's the last prayer. We're going to say a prayer together. You guys want to say a prayer together? Yes. All right, let's just stand. We'll close with this. Say this with me. Lord, I commit the empty areas of my life to you. I will not despair the setbacks because they are your opportunities for a comeback. I invite you to use these areas of my life as a platform to reach others and to build your kingdom. I renounce false dreams, false idols, everything that I have placed ahead of you, including my abilities, my pride, my will, and my ideas. Jesus, you are the only good idea. I will do what you say just because you say it. By faith, I will be consistent. I will draw from your world, and I will be transformed. And the world and the people around me will be transformed as well. Amen. Come on. All right, let me bless you. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine down upon you. And may the Lord be gracious to you. And in every way, may he give you peace. And forever, may you live within his favor. In Jesus' name, amen. God loves you. We love you. There's a prayer team available if you need prayer. Blessings.